0: All right, brother, welcome to the 307 Podcast. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Hey, guys, uh, if you're listening, I got my brother Vernon Barber on the podcast today, a.k.a. Tubbs. Um, We're just going to talk through some stuff, man. We got a lot of history. We got a lot of memories. Uh, Tubbs has a lot of lessons of his own that he has offered to share with us. So uh, I can't thank you enough for that, man. It's uh it's powerful to be able to sit down and have this conversation, um, and it's awesome that you're willing to do it. We'll talk about a few uh a few sponsors of the show real quick, just a little housekeeping. The first one that I want to talk about is Salty Britches. So Tubbs is a Tubbs is a uh, basic course alumni now. He went out on the basic course with us. We saw a lot of salty britches being used out there on the basic course. Um, I have used salty britches for uh, multiple 100-mile races, use it all the time when I'm running, use it out when I'm backpacking. So what it is, it's an anti-chafing cream. Uh, It is, in my opinion, the best anti-chafing cream on the market. It helps me tremendously uh, to, I guess, prevent blisters or chafing in all those hot spots that we all have. So, salty britches, it's on a whole nother level than like Vaseline or something like that. This stuff is specifically made to prevent chafing and to stay on for hours and hours and hours with one application. So, if you run, if you hike, if you're outside, if you spend time on the beach and the salt and the sand, if you're a surfer, this thing has this stuff has so many different applications. Go check out Salty Bridges, order some at GetSaltyBritches.com. Go and follow Salty Bridges on Instagram at get They have also given us a pro code. I'll attach that pro code to the show notes of this episode. Thank you, Salty Britches, for sponsoring this Three of Seven podcast episode. Next sponsor I want to talk about is Natural Rapport. Me and Tub's been hanging out all week. The wife's the wife is gone. It's me and him and the dogs. Uh, we take pretty good care of the dogs, don't we, brother? We do. Yeah. It's hard not to. Yeah. We love our dogs, and uh, because we love our dogs so much, we make sure that they only get the best possible food that's on the market. And that's why we use Natural Rapport. That's why we've allowed Natural Rapport to sponsor this podcast episode because we believe in their products. They make uncomplicated pet essentials. So treats and also uh, grooming products, right? This stuff is uh, mostly single ingredient. Uh, It's 98% derived from natural sources. It's just a really good, clean product that you can use and that you can reward your animals with. We use it every day here at the house, Natural Rapport products. If you guys love your dogs as much as we love ours, please treat them to some Natural Rapport treats. If you are interested in ordering some for yourself, just go to naturalreport.com. Also, follow them on Instagram at natural rapport. They got some awesome content, some really high-quality pictures that they put out. Um, just a, They're a great follow on Instagram if you're an animal lover, which, uh, which we are. So, Natural Rapport also has provided a Pro Code for us as 3of7podcast listeners. Pro Code is just 3of7project no spaces. I will also put that in the show notes of this episode. And the last sponsor I want to talk about, you guys have heard me talk about them before multiple times, and uh, they have decided to continue to sponsor the 307 podcast long-term, and that is Exoskin. And so Exoskin is, uh, yeah, it's the best running fitness, outdoor apparel on the market, in my personal opinion. I've used ExoSkin in all environments, all temperatures for all different activities, and it functions flawlessly. It fits perfect. It doesn't lose its shape throughout a long day. It doesn't retain odor-causing bacteria. One of the coolest things about ExoSkin is the fabric, it's a proprietary fabric that actually has um, uh, copper fibers woven woven into the fabric. So the copper basically somehow eats away the odor-causing bacteria, which means that you can wear a piece of Exoskin apparel for days at a time or for multiple workouts, and it's not going to start stinking terribly. As a matter of fact, for the most part, they don't retain odor at all. Um, the fabric is also designed to channel moisture away from the skin, thus preventing chafing, salt buildup, all the things that are uncomfortable, right? All the things that, that uh, yeah, cause us to hurt and not enjoy the activity that we're doing. If you guys are interested in ExoSkin, please go check them out. Um, at, uh, their website is exoskin.us. And then follow them on Instagram at Exoskin. I will attach their Instagram handle, and their website, and their pro code that they've provided us as three hundred and seven pro- podcast listeners in the show notes of this episode. Yeah, when I was running Midstate Mile the other day, um, one of the one the, the dude Greg that I was competing against there at the end, like he had some bad chafing. Right in his butt crack. Oh, yeah. And uh, somebody said, so, and, and he was like, man, it's, he, he was just dealing with it. He was, like, he was like, man, this is just part of running ultra. It's it's getting this chafing. And I was like, no, not really, man. If you get the right gear, you don't really have to worry about that stuff, and it makes the experience a lot better. So that's the reason I'm such a believer in ExoSkin. I've used it for years. All right, that's enough about sponsors. Um, thank you, guys. ExoSkin, Natural Rapport. And salty britches for sponsoring the three of seven podcast. We appreciate you. We appreciate you guys putting out awesome products, so we can uh, stay in the game doing what we love. All right, that's all I got on the sponsorships. Let's um, let's dig in. Let's let's chat with uh, with my man Tubbs, brother. Happy to be here. Yeah, man. So it's been a heck of a week, man.
1: Yeah, it's been a big one.
0: Yeah, it really has. I mean, so me and Tubbs. You know, we served together in the Navy, the first part of our career, and then we got separated as we went different directions and you know for a long time, dude, I'm talking about 10 years or more. You know, you were you were somebody that was was you were always there in the back of my mind, you know, and I always thought about you, what you were doing, where you were at in life, because the time that we spent together and the memories that we have together were just, I mean, we were both getting started in life, you know, they're set in concrete, that was, those were powerful memories, man, and it's kind of weird how we got reconnected, man, walk us, walk us through that real quick, dude.
1: Yeah, so, uh, likewise, you know, you were a big a good friend you only meet a few friends like uh, friendships like we have I believe in your life you know so it's really interesting to get back out here after nearly a decade and reconnect and uh, so yeah I had a a buddy of mine send me a link to a Rich Roll podcast and he says you know do you guys remember this redneck and I was like I, I opened it up and sure enough here's Chad with a big long beard I could barely recognize him and then now he's some superstar, you know, but it's it's uh, quite the – if you knew Chad 10 years ago, you would never imagine for him to be where he's at now as far as just putting himself out there and, and actually doing a lot of these, these talks, you know. Yeah, man, uh, it's been a ride for sure, you know.
0: But the cool thing is, though, man, it's like all that time that we spent apart, we we able to we we able to come back together this week, dude, and just uh, pick right up where we left off, man. Yeah, like right, we right. Ain't, we missed a lick, not a lick. This is the I mean we're doing the same stuff that we were doing ten years ago, you know. And it's it's been it's just been a powerful week, man. We've got a lot done. Um, I want to talk through the week just a little bit. I want to start with talking about the basic course. Tubbs came out and joined us on the basic course, man.
1: What do you think about that, brother? I really enjoyed it. You know, I mean, it, you learn a lot of good skills. You're definitely going to leave the basic course with uh, plenty of knowledge for you to go hit the backcountry with a backpack and a tent on your back, and 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 make the most of it. Uh, as well as just the team dynamic that the basic course offers uh, can give you these, these this sense of leadership if that's something you've never experienced before.
0: Yeah, we got to see that fall unfold in a big way for sure man um and you know it's crazy how all this lined up dude because you know and, and talking through the rest of the week after the basic course um tubs came back down here to the house with me and man we've been hanging out man we've been hammering every day just um running swimming biking i mean we've been hammering dude we've been Going out to eat, eating good food. I mean, we've been living the life, man. It's it's living been living the awesome. dream, living the dream, dude. I mean, so you know that's essentially what we've been doing all week. But the interesting part is really what brought Tubbs out here, because you're kind of man. I feel like you're kind of on a vision quest right now. It's like you're in a you're in this moment of. What do you, whatever you want to call it, transition in your life or whatever you want to call it, but you've decided to take it upon yourself to, to launch out on this journey and to figure out what's next, man. Talk me through that real quick. What was the process leading up to this vision quest and what have you found out through this journey? Because you've pretty much been all over the country, all the way from the West Coast all the way now to here. What have you found out about yourself and, you know, what prompted
1: that for you, brother? Yes, so I did, you know, a little over a decade in the Navy as well as you did and uh, came to to a closing last year in July. I just sort of felt tapped out with the Navy. You know, there wasn't any real uh, room for um, achieving more, and I felt rather stagnant, so that's kind of what led to me getting out of the Navy and – I just started college. Uh, that, that's going really well. I'm a much better student now than I was when I was 18, 19. So I don't think I would have fared very well in college straight out of high school. And now I'm on this journey of really wanting to leave the West Coast and find where I'm going to lay my head down next. You know, I don't want to stay out there. I love California. It's been quite a fun journey out there. I've experienced a lot of the West Coast. Beautiful place. Ultimately, I think that I, I want to settle back down somewhere in the southeast. Uh, coming out here to South Georgia, you know, and North Georgia, you know, going up to the basic course. I grew up in South Georgia. Never knew how beautiful it was in that forest up there. I thought that I would have to, you know, go up to the Pacific Northwest maybe to experience that type of greenery mountains and just the beauty that it has to offer. Uh, so yeah, now here I am just really, this road trip was all about going to see the friends that I have made that are very similar to mine and your friendship. You know, you only make a few of those in life and they all seem to leave, uh, California or wherever I have met them at, you know, and go, go off to other places. So this whole trip is all about just reconnecting with those individuals and for, this, with me and you to line up the way it did, it was very unexpected. Never did I think I might see Chad again in my life. There was a lot of times when I questioned if he was even still alive. Uh, so when he popped up on my on my radar, I knew immediately that he had to become a big part of this trip. And i uh very happy to be here. It's been so powerful. And I'm I'm just enjoying the journey. Yeah, man, and I'm going
0: to tell you, you know, I feel like, the, just the fact that you decided to invest in this trip and uh, to launch out, man, I mean, you put you put down a lot of long, some miles. You've come a long ways, but just the fact that you decided that you had the courage, that you had the initiative, that you had the willpower to launch out on this quest, man, to figure out what the next part of your journey is going to look like speaks volumes about who you are, man. Because so many people would have, you know, got out of the military, whatever whatever the case is, and and they would have just stayed right there where they were at, man, even if they didn't like it because it's, it's comfortable and it's easy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it does take initiative. It does take action, and it takes commitment, and it takes courage to launch out on something like what you're doing, dude. And, you know, I'm I'm kind of envious of you right now, the point in life that you are because we was talking about it earlier today. Man, you're at that point right now where it's like we we described it. It's like Christmas morning, like uh, we got so many gifts, we got so many opportunities. Um, you do placed before you, and it's like which one do I open first, man? It's just an amazing place to be in life. I still feel that way. I'm pretty much still at the beginning of my journey too. You know all this is all this is fairly fairly new to me too. And um yeah, it's 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 a crazy ride, brother, but you know, I want to talk about I want to go back to the beginning, man. And I want to talk about who you are, brother, and where you grew up and the things that shaped you into the man that you were, you know, prior to joining the navy right leading up to that point and uh, just to get a uh, understanding and to have a record of
1: those experiences and and what shaped you brother okay yeah uh so i was born in jacksonville florida when my parents were still together i lived in florida until i was about seven years old and then i had a pretty shaky and dramatic um upbringing with my parents you know both sort of addicted to alcohol and drugs Uh, they and and quite a violent relationship as well so my mom ended up leaving my father and she moved us up to South Georgia where her where she grew up where her family was and uh, from there you know about I think when I was nine years old my grandfather came to me and and keep in mind I was in a, a family with all women you know it was all all my cousins were were women you know, my, I have a sister. I don't have any brothers. So only men in my life were my grandfather and my uncle. And I just remember always hanging out with the women all the time. And my grandfather would always try to coax me, you know, hey, come out to the farm, you know, because we own this little uh, small family farm with, you know, pecans and cotton and peanuts, you, you name it. But mainly just a little small family operation. By the time I graduated fifth grade, my grandfather asked me, he said, hey, son, do you want to come out to the farm and, you know, help me work on these sprinklers, you know? And I'm like, okay. But little little did I know that was the first day of my full-time job until I left to come in the military. So I worked for him on that farm from the age of, you know, nine or 10 until about 19 when I joined and went to boot camp. And that really, that man, my grandfather and my uncle, Really shaped me into be the man that I am today. My father was pretty absent; uh, he wasn't really around. But luckily, I had them to step in for that. Uh, it really taught me integrity, hard work, you know. And you just put in a lot of effort to something, and you're going to get a lot out of it. Uh, I think my grandfather wanted me to sort of take over that farm at some point, but for me, I kind of had grander dreams. You know, I kind of wanted to get out, make my own path and sort of get out away from my family that was somewhat toxic so that I could just, again, make my own path, figure it out on my own. Yeah, man,
0: I felt a lot the same way. Definitely growing you know, growing up in a small town, similar to you working on a little farm like that, and it is something, something that drives men like us to want to get out and, and blaze your own path. I don't know what it is, man, but I felt that pull too, um let's see man growing up on that farm dude you know you talk about you talked about instilling that integrity where where'd your grandfather because that that integrity stands out to me because you said something on the basic course you were talking about something and you said something 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 but i have integrity and it like it was like a highlight for me because I was like, you know what? That's that that's the truth. Ever since the the first the the first time that you and I, you know, met, and we throughout the forging of our friendship in the early days, you never said anything that you didn't deliver. You always delivered upon anything that you said. You're still that way. If Tubbs said. Yeah, man, I'm going to go to the movies with you today. Yeah, man, we'll go get a pizza at 3 o'clock. Yeah, man, we're going to do this. Whatever it was, you can bet he would be there. And that's something that I distinctly remember about you, that I still see it playing out today, that I can depend upon everything that you say. I can depend upon you to deliver upon that. That right there... You can't put a value on that. That is something you just can't even put a value on it. I mean, to have a to have you like you said, you only find very few of those friends in life that that have that quality, and that to me is one of the most desirable qualities in a friend is somebody that you can one hundred percent come hell or high water. If that man tells you something, he's going to show up and he's gonna he's going to be ready. He's going to deliver on that, man. Um you know, where do you think your grandfather cuz obviously that was something big. Where do you think he got that integrity from, man? I mean, did it, was he did he grow up on that farm? Was that something passed down to him, you think? Because he obviously did a great job instilling it in you.
1: Yeah, uh no doubt. My grandfather was a very hard man. Um And his father, as far as I can tell, I never got to meet him. But just hearing stories from my mom and, you know, her sister and her brother, he was the same way or worse than my grandfather was. So they would always tell me that I got the the calmed down version of my grandfather. But he was not a man to let you get away with anything halfway done. You know, if you did a job and he, he taught you how to do the job, and if you cut any corners, you know, He's going to let you know how he felt. He's going to make you feel terrible about it, for one. And uh, he wouldn't let you move on until you finished that properly, you know. So even going through school, I was really bad in school. I hated it growing up. It wasn't my thing. I just wanted to get out and get in the military as soon as possible. And so I skipped quite a bit of school doing that type of stuff. And, you know, he would catch me all the time and, he was that type of man that he, you knew when he was upset because he would say, hey, son, come sit down here for a minute. And it wasn't any opportunity for you to talk or explain why you think you're doing the things you're doing. It was all him just telling you why you're messing up. And he had a way with words without yelling at you to just make you feel like you were the scum of the planet. And it, at the time, as a kid, it hit me hard, and I felt bad about it. But really, I think that all of those things, him not letting me cut any corners and him really telling me, critiquing me as a child, uh, forged these, these you know, morals and codes that we want to live by and to get the job done, get it done right and, and move on.
0: He did a solid job, man. That's for dang sure, brother. I would have loved to have got to meet him, man. Um, sounds like an awesome Dude, and you know, hard to find men like that. It is nowadays they it like they come in few and far between. Uh, but uh, yeah, man, I value that in you. I always have valued that in you. That to me is one of the number one qualities that I look for in a in in a friend and a brother, and because if I call you my brother, if I call you my friend, I don't take that lightly. Like that means something. That means that everything that I have is, a it's, it's yours too. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you know, and I have to be able to depend upon that person and, and you are that person. You have been that person since day one, you know, always. And uh, I really value that. And, you know, I want to talk about why the navy man i've always i I, maybe we had that conversation a long time ago but my brain my brain's a little slower these days so why the navy what was driving that dude
1: yeah so uh the navy okay i mean really what sparked it for me was i was probably 16 years old and i had my high school sweetheart and i always told myself you know if i if we split up i'm going in the military. At that time i had no real direction. I just kind of knew i wanted my fa- my grandfather already instilled a lot of structure in my life. So i wanted to go in the military and and continue in a in an organization that was still very structured and disciplined and so i think really what got me in the navy was those uh i can't remember the name of them, but that buds uh video, you know, the two, three, four, where they walk you through all the the phases of buds. And I fell in love with it mainly because it looked like it was probably one of the hardest things I could do in life. Yep. And for some reason that had a big draw on me and I read a lot of books about it. And really it's pretty much as soon as I saw that show, it was, it was a sealed deal. I wanted to go to buds and I did. And a lot of that was just wanting, wanting to escape my hometown and wanting to go achieve something so difficult, and test myself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Yep. You know, I remember that, I think that that, uh, that dang documentary series, man, I think it was Discovery Channel put that on. Mm-hmm. That was a, you know what's crazy that you mentioned that, because the other day, it's been about two weeks ago, I actually went back and I watched that that documentary, and it just, I, I haven't watched it since I was like, 17 years old and i wanted to watch it again and look at it through kind of a different set of eyes and a different perspective and uh it's great dude i think that that documentary changed has changed the course of a lot of young men's lives man yeah no doubt yeah it's cool to go back and re-watch it now and see it through a different perspective and uh you know it, that was that was pretty good and so that we met when when you and i first met Would have been in pre-Buds, right? It was, yep. Were we in the same room together in pre-Buds?
1: Yeah, we were. You know, I had just graduated, and I think that you were on some type of hold. You had graduated a little bit before I did. You were on some type of hold out there, and I remember getting to, I think it was the USS Ticonderoga. Yep. It's closed down now. I think it had black mold all in it. You know, it was a pretty old old building. And I just remember, I think I had just came back home from my first leave From Georgia, I was feeling really homesick. I remember that whole long walk uh, back to the barracks from the front gate, and when I opened that door, because when I left there, I don't think I had a roommate. And then when I opened that door, here's Chad up on his bunk, uh, you know, and I could immediately tell I was going to connect with Chad because of his country accent. You know, I knew he's from probably somewhere from the south, and it didn't take long to realize that you know this is someone that I'm going to value. Someone I'm going to probably form a deep connection with. And no doubt that did happen.
0: Yeah, it's weird back in those days, you know, you talk about that, talk about that homesickness, man. And, and, you know, that's something that I really struggle with too. I think that's a big thing for dudes like us that were born and raised in the South because there's a specific type of culture, there's a specific type of feel. And, and, uh, you know, a specific type of people that live, that populate these areas, man, you can't find this type of culture anywhere else in the world. It's very, very unique, and, you know, I, I met a, we, we both met a lot of guys in, you know, in the Navy that were from maybe the Midwest, maybe from, you know, up north or even out west in California in those western states that, I don't think those guys struggled with that, whatever you want to call it, homesickness as much as we did. And I found myself all throughout my Navy career seeking out guys that grew up in that same culture that I grew up in. It's just a, it's a very unique and special thing. And I think that was definitely the initial reason that we felt so comfortable with each other, you know what I mean? Because I knew, you know, I had a good idea of how you probably grew up, and it was probably really similar to the way I grew up, and we probably had the same values, the same virtues, the same principles, and inevitably we do. Um, And it's comforting. It It was comforting always to have a friend close by that I knew understood what I felt understood the way I grew up the way I was raised and I've never talked through that before I've never even reflected upon that before of how that works and how we automatically because of the way we were raised we were automatically seeking one another out you know without even uh, without even having to, to say words you know what I mean it was just like you said as soon as you heard me talk you felt that connection man it's a powerful thing that's why. That's essentially. That's why i live back here where I live. It's like it. I came comes full circle. Mm-hmm. You, you never. You there's something about this this place down here, that just stays with you throughout your life, and it's a beautiful thing. I freaking love it, man. I love it. I love culture, no matter where it's at in the world. I love seeing the culture. That's something that's really cool. So, buds, prep, man. As far as I remember, you crushed that, dude. Yep. I mean, what was that
1: like for you? No problems, really. You know, I was never a good runner, and I didn't, I barely got in with a contract because my scores, I couldn't, I barely passed a mile and a half run, you know, with, with maybe 30 seconds of cutoff time. Um, Same here. And so, uh, you know, pre buzz was good for me. I didn't quite know how to train to go to buds. Um, I was doing a lot of weightlifting and I would do some runs, but overall I was very unprepared. And I hit boot camp and I think I failed that first PST on the run. I was really sick and I just got one of those big shots in my butt and that thing was really hurting. So I redid that. You know you got to suck it up really when when it comes to running some of those runs when they're time like that, you just got to kind of put your head down and realize that it's going to hurt and if I want to pass it, I'm gonna to have to push it. So pre buds really brought me up to speed for buds. You know, I never failed anything in pre buds. Once I got there, swimming, pull ups, push ups, all that stuff was pretty easy. Overall, I really enjoyed it. I mean, all our life was was working out. It was so simple. You just had someone telling you where to go, what to do, and you would just eat and train. and I love that. That's a that's still much very much a part of my life, even not being in the military is just always training. You know, so pre buds was fun. I really enjoyed it, but I was happy to leave Chicago.
0: Yeah, I was ready to get out of there too, man. That's a cold daggone place, dude. That's a cold place and it's not a yeah, there's it's it's really crowded, really kinda no offense to anybody that lives in Chicago, but it just seemed kinda dirty to me, dude.
1: It ain't for no country boy. No, man. No.
0: <laughs> just right, man. It just seemed a little dirty around there, so I was glad to get out, too. But it was a really simple time in life, man. No iPhones. No email address. We just had... I think... I cre- I didn't even have a bank account until I got to boot camp. Um, super simple lifestyle. Worked out every day. Me and Tubbs would go out. I had an old S10... Mm-hmm. uh, pickup truck. I was one of the, I was one of the few dudes that had a vehicle. I think most guys, you know, didn't have a vehicle cause we were just there temporarily, you know, for a couple months until we shipped out to, uh, to Bud's out in San Diego. But, uh, man, we'd go out and get those deep dish pizzas, bring them back. We'd hammer down, get about, eat about 3000 calories at dinner, get up and do it all over again the next day. It was a, It's a beautiful way of life, man. I look back on those days, you know, and I don't look back a lot, but it's healthy sometimes to, to think back and to reassess, to look back at those days in order to reassess what you're doing right now in life. And, you know, those days in a lot of ways were, were hard physically and mentally, but they were just so freaking simple, dude. So simple and you know that was that we 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 breezed we breezed right on through that easy
1: day yep no problems no injuries no failures um just learning how to train hard
0: yep yeah not and you know i you know not a lot of not a ton of lessons from from pre-buds that i can remember i mean we were just pretty much head down we were we were Really focused on what was coming. Uh, You know, not so focused on what we were doing every day, but the whole focus was preparing for what was coming. And that was pretty much the way we lived our lives. Everything was like, everything was, we knew everything we were surrounded by was temporary, you know, because we were moving on from there within a couple of months. It's a weird place to be in life. I mean, I guess most normal people don't ever experience a time like that so we graduated we we really me and tubbs really developed our friendship i think there in pre-buds that's where we we really got to spend a lot of time together we were together every day um and even after work we like I say we were going out doing whatever recovering crushing deep dish pizzas watching movies whatever we get out the buds man And, um, that's when the real show starts, dude. And, um, let's see, I don't even know where to start. I don't even know where to start with that. I haven't talked about my Bud's experience in a long, long time, dude, because there's only bits and pieces that I remember. What do you remember? What stands out about it to you, man?
1: Uh, well, other than the obvious, you know, I, um, Bud's met and exceeded every expectation that i could imagine it was very nostalgic to be there after watching that two three four video you know you get a good idea of what the compound looks like and what you think the instructors are going to treat you like and kind of the dynamic that's going on and um it was a lot of fun just experiencing it all just trying to take it one step at a time and i think that a lot of the struggle that I had was, you know, actually projecting out too far of what's coming next instead of just focusing on either the day or the week ahead, you know, so that was definitely one thing that stands out for me. You know, every Sunday I would get pretty homesick. You know, we talked about that a little bit, but luckily I had a little piece of Georgia with me all the time named Chad, and he would always reel me back in. And, uh, but other than that, I never really struggled in any of the evolutions and buds, it was, you learn a lot about yourself. You learn that you can go quite a bit further than you think you can go. And you meet some great people and you really get to see the personalities of people when they're met with some of these very difficult evolutions to run. Your, your, your real person's going to come out in a lot of those events. And especially when it comes to the team building stuff, you know,
0: man, that's a really good point is uh getting to see getting to see the reactions from people when they're kind of at their lowest point. man, get, getting to see really truly who they are. You know what I mean? because I've said that a hundred times, man. all the stuff that we know to do, all the mental toughness, all the skills, all the tools that we have in our toolbox, it's really easy to practice all that stuff when life is good, right? But when it gets, when it gets nasty and you're in the valley of despair, sometimes it's hard to recall those tools and how you should use them and how, you know, and, and, and how they work. Uh, and I've been guilty of that in, in, in my own life. You know, you get in that valley of despair, man, and, uh, you forget about this tool you got in your toolbox and, um, that's when it's, that's, but that's when it's most important to recall those tools That's why we have to practice them so much. That's why we have to put ourselves in life in uncomfortable situations, uh, physically, mentally, emotionally, in order to practice those tools. That way we can recall them in times of stress or in times of de-stress. You know, man, Buzz, for me, I feel the exact same way. It lived up to and exceeded what my expectations were it was really weird it was a really another really weird time for me it was it's more of a blur I wish I remembered more about it I really do it was just such a blur man luckily for me personally one of my biggest strengths in life that sometimes is a weakness is I have a really really simple mind really simple dude um it works pretty much just like on a single plane. <laughs> like it's not I, I'm not a very dynamic uh thinker or planner or anything like that. It's just like a single plane, very simple train of thought. And in buds for me, I think that gave me an advantage. Because like you said, I was not thinking ever about what was next ever it was always just just thinking about what is happening in the moment even now in business I'm the same way man I could be I, I could probably be a hundred times more successful than I am right now if I had a little more complex train of thought and th- now that's why I've surrounded my people myself with people in business that that have that more complex thought structure like Blake like nathan you know those guys because it helps balance me out but in that particular place and that particular part of my journey that singular mindset and that singular focal plane was was probably my greatest advantage because um yeah i wasn't the physically strong which neither one of us were the we were never in the front of the pack always the middle we were always the middle of the pack man always I mean, I don't even think the instructors knew who I was until third phase. Mm -hmm. Really, I don't think they had a clue that I was even part of the class until third phase. And um, I wouldn't have changed a thing about that, man.
1: No, I enjoy living in that that gray area, you know, where no one really knows who you are. So, I mean, I I very much uh, enjoyed just being under the radar.
0: Yeah, and there's times in place, there's a time and place in life that you got to step up. There's a time and place to shine. But that right there wasn't the time and place for it. That was the time and place to endure, to uh, play the long game, to stay in the middle of the pack, to not put a spotlight on yourself. Any of you guys that are listening to this that are thinking about going to BUDS or whatever, selection phase for the Army or whatever, just keep that in mind. Um A lot of the dudes that were in our class that were always out front, you know, always had to be first. I feel like that was a pride thing. But the the dangerous part about that is, is they were so used to being out front when they had a bad day and they couldn't. They could no longer maintain that pace. They could no longer be out front. It crushed them, dude. It crushed their pride. You know what I mean? They were so used to being up there. So, you know, if there's a, if there's anything dangerous about being out front all the time, then that that's it. That's the lesson from it. Is uh, you're gonna get your pride hurt eventually, man. You gotta let that ego go. You, you're exactly right, man. So, um, all right. That's uh, that's kind of walks you through first phase up to Hell Week. And then I want you to tell your story, however however
1: deep you want to tell it, brother. All right. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, oftentimes we hear about all the success stories. Really, that's all you ever hear about is success stories coming out of buds. Uh, So definitely, you know, going into Hell Week, I had sort of built Hell Week up to be this thing that I wasn't sure if I was going to make it out or not. I wasn't actively disbelieving that I had it in me, but. I definitely put hell week on this pedestal that was so high that I just wasn't sure what the outcome was going to be. Uh, hadn't had any problems leading into it. No injuries, no sicknesses, no failures. As far as the time stuff goes, I was just breezing through it. Uh, so, uh, hell week comes up. We're ready to go. Um, hell week was just as you would imagine. You know, you're working hard. You don't get to sleep. You're just eating three meals a day, drinking salt water all the time. Um, And then so every meal we would sit down to eat at is when my brain would start turning. Uh, When we were moving, we were moving. I was grooving. There was no real thought projection about what was coming. It was only when we would sit down to eat. So every time we would sit down to eat, I would start thinking things like, well, maybe I can just quit and get out of the Navy. So that was something that plagued my mind. And it turned into this excuse that I could use to talk myself into quitting because I very much had to convince myself to quit. And it was a hard choice. It took probably, I think I quit somewhere around Tuesday night, Tuesday evening, um, I think we were crawling around the sand for quite a while right after eating some good chow. I think it was an MRE on the oak course. We were leaned up beside the boats, and we weren't doing anything exceptionally hard. Nothing really about Hell Week was exceptionally hard. You were just required to do what you were told, stay moving, help your team out, you know, because you're in these boat crews. And, again, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't hurting. I wasn't really cold and tired. So, yeah, right after that meal, we were crawling around the sand, and – I kept one thing that was stuck in my head that I heard a lot of people talk about was around the world. And I had gotten put in a boat crew that was a little bit shorter than me that I had never been in. Cause I was in a specific boat crew the entire, uh, you know, weeks leading up to hell week. And I was very much used to being with them. We were a good boat crew. And then, you know, people come and go, people quit, people get rolled out. So they do some shifting around. So I got into a brand new boat crew for hell week. Uh, And I kind of lost that dynamic as far as, you know, you can't be, we talked about the selfish side of it a little bit. So, you know, me and Chad were really good friends, and in Hell Week, I sort of forgot that I had someone else that I should have been a little bit more accountable for. Because if I could have, in those moments, I think that if I would have been a little less selfish and not thinking about myself, and thinking about Chad or any of the good friends that I made there, or even my old boat crew, I would have been a little more inclined to, you know, not go that route of quitting. But I got very selfish, and I eventually got up and rang that bell.
0: Yeah, that's a powerful story, man. And, you know, there's so many, there's, in my mind, dude, you started off that story with talking about how, you really only ever hear the success stories, right? That's a problem, man. Like that's a problem because yeah there there are there are things to be learned through success. but the more powerful lessons in my mind are learned through those moments <clears throat> of failure. Um, the moments in life that you have, uh when you're when you're at your weakest and and you've had time to process that what what it actually was <clears throat> what actually led to that decision what actually led to that failure you know that's like me i go out to new zealand once a year and do this you know this really difficult race called the revenant and uh, i failed there two years in a row man and the lessons that have come from those failures now two years in a row are far deeper than if I would have went out there year one and crushed that race like I thought I was going to do. I thought there was no way I was going to fail, man, you know? And so, you know, I'm just, to me, man, to hear that story, to hear that perspective is freaking powerful, man. And what do you think? If you because if, you've had time to reflect on this, what do you think? What is the one thing? What is the the one principle that you or maybe there's more than one that you take from that time in your life, man? If you could pass it along to anybody that's in that battle themselves.
1: Yeah, there's a few. You know, I've had a little over a decade to to mull it over, and you know, I've talked about it with a few close friends, and we broke it down. You know, so, okay, I, I, I quit. I rung out. They drive me back to the barracks, and you kind of, at that point, the instructors completely do a 180, and you realize that they're all just human beings, and they're they're actually kind of bummed that you quit. And uh, so they take you back up there, and you sort of do a, a de of all your gear, and you're pretty much getting ready to get sent off into a kind of a gray area of the Navy where they're going to, you know, place you somewhere else in the fleet. But, so I go in the office right there, you know, I can't remember, just the main Bud's office, you know. Um, And you go talk to the master chief that's kind of running that program at the time. And he he asks you the question, you know, why did you quit? And I I lied to him. I said I was just cold and tired. But really, I sort of, I just lost the mental battle of it. You know, I was projecting out too far, not being able to take it one step at a time. So that's a really good one to try to focus on and if i could give that to people to take away is just one step at a time. Uh and then, you know, really as soon as i rang that bell and i got back to the office and i put my helmet down on the on the grinder, it was immediate regret. Um and if i could have somehow said, "Hey, you know what? This is a mistake." Uh i would have took it, but you can't, you know, at that point you already rang the bell. And there's not everything in life is like that. A lot of times you can quit something and you get to go back rather rapidly or the repercussion of it isn't this large. But at Bud's, when you quit, you quit. You're done. And, um, again, it was immediate regret. It wasn't very well thought out. And it's something that follows me for the rest of my life. You know, it's I'm always chasing something, chasing purpose, chasing something that's going to fulfill me uh and i don't know that i'll ever find that i don't know if i'll ever get something that'll it, it i'm pretty sure i'll never find something that'll redeem that right um so if i could give something to take away as well it would just be that you know uh suck it up a little bit longer so that you don't have to learn the lesson the hard way uh i think that's about it i mean Mull it over, you know, take your time. If you're ever in a position to where you have to quit something, don't make a very rash and and just shoot from the hip choice. Don't be selfish and realize that some of these decisions we make will follow us for the rest of our lives.
0: Yeah, that's that's freaking powerful, brother.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was uh it was definitely a very depressing moment too in my life after that you go from riding the highest of the highs, thinking you're going to become a a part of a very elite uh, unit and you're gonna you're gonna work with men that are just like you and I was very much searching for that too you know to be a part of this brotherhood that was really hard to obtain and so you go from that really high to really the bottom of the barrel of the navy and it's very depressing I didn't stay in it too long. It didn't slow me down too much, but you're always craving. And I don't know if this is true for every guy that doesn't make it through the program, but there's never really a day that doesn't go by that I don't think about that, that, that failure, that instance in bud, in Buds. And, uh, but you got to live with it. You got to move on from it. And you have to realize that you're still going to be capable of great things. And I know I'm still capable of great things and I'm still doing great things and achieving great things. But that one failure will probably be my biggest failure of my entire life.
0: You know, I think, I think there's one, there's one other thing too, you know, like you, you know, you covered a lot of really deep stuff there, man. And and I think there's another thing, though, that you have done. You know, that's special, man. Is you is you've taken that, you've analyzed it, you've obviously learned how to articulate it, and right now you're taking those lessons and sharing them with thousands and thousands of individuals to help them through their own personal journeys, man. And if you fail and you decide not to do that, that's a double failure, dude. Like that's just, that's, that's unsat man, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and so you've decided to do that and you know, those lessons and those words that you just spoke are powerful and i can guarantee you it's going to change a lot of perspectives man because it's real man this is real life um i don't know brother i just i can't thank you enough for sharing those lessons with us man um and i agree with everything that you said 100%
1: Hard lesson learned. Learn from me so that you don't make the same mistakes. Yeah,
0: you know. And another u- unique thing about you, though, man, is you—you experienced that. You know, you went through that. You had that hard stop, and and first of all, life, I've figured out, is a constant state of undulation. It's, it's a constant up or down. That's life. To be a part of time, to be living in time, reality, it is a constant state of undulation. I've experienced that in my, my own life. You know, you're, you're on these massive peaks, and then you're going to be back in the valley, man. And so that was a big undulation for you to where you're going from this peak this this you know this path then down into this deep valley but like you said you didn't stay there long man you didn't mope around like you decided to climb your way and you went on and served your country you wrote a check to your country that was payable up to and including your life for over a decade. Um, Serving in a high capacity and climbing back up out of that valley, man. I want to talk about that. What was that climb like? What was that journey? Climbing from that point up to being a rescue swimmer, man, to serving your country for over a decade for I'm sure leading countless times, traveling all over the world, not giving up because of one mistake, but really just climbing, man. And you're still climbing. So what? What was? What's that? What's that part of the journey? What was that like, brother?
1: Um, it was a. It was a, at the same time. It took a while to get out of that hole and. Like I said, when you go to the bottom of the barrel of the Navy, you're sort of in this limbo phase of, you know, where am I going to go next? Where is the Navy going to send me? And in a lot of ways, I'm thinking, when am I going to get back to Bud's? So I actually had some injuries that that had me stuck around the compound for almost a year, and I watched my whole class go through all of Bud's. You know, I watched Chad – in and out of the compound with a green helmet, then a blue helmet, then a red helmet. And that was hard. That kind of kept me there. And until I moved out of, that, out of that atmosphere and finally got away from it, was really when my, uh, I could start climbing that mountain again. But in a lot of ways, it was still very unfulfilling. I still had sort of a negative mindset about having to go to the fleet. I wasn't excited about it. It wasn't why I joined the Navy. And so it came time for me to pick a new job, and the the detailer is, you know, telling you, you know, you can do this, you can do that. But there's really not a lot of leeway when you get out of that program. The Navy just kind of sends you where they want you. They offered me to go to surface rescue swimmer school, and at the time I was like, well, it sounds like another challenge, and so let's do that. It didn't turn out to be as prestigious as I wanted it to be. Because, you know, it's not air rescue swimmer. You're basically just going to be on ships your whole life doing the rescue swimmer gig for them. Um, But my first deployment, so I go to the fleet. I graduate rescue swimmer school. What what was that school like, man? I want to hear about that. Okay, yeah, the school was fun. I enjoyed it. It's only, I think it was about six weeks long. And you're just, you're in the pool all day, every day. And I remember even in that program, there were times where I was just kind of like, this isn't what I want. I don't want to be here. I'd rather be back in buds. This isn't my path. Um, but I kept my head down. I graduated that school. It was very rewarding in the moment. Uh, the the school itself, you know, you do a lot of you, all you're really learning is procedures, learning how to put people into litters, learning how to put people into strops. And these are devices that the ships use to recover people from the water. You learn a lot of good first aid stuff and, you do a lot of swimming, you learn how to take control of, you know, combative people that you need to rescue, and you just kind of go over all the intricate details of what that swimmer is going to need, you know, to make a rescue. Um, It was fun graduating that not overly difficult. I don't even think I trained to go to that school, you know, I just kind of said, Okay, yes, send me and I went. Um, So from there, I graduate, I go back to my ship, and I go on my first deployment. It was on a frigate, so it's a, a fairly small ship, but we did a pretty cool deployment. It was a uh, uh, counter drug operations in South America, and you have uh, the Coast Guard lead at the uh, law enforcement detachment on board. There's six or seven of them, and I got kind of lucky with that because they have to have a rescue swimmer in the rib boat with them when when they do ops, so... You know, you have your VBSS teams, which are your visit board, search and seizure teams that are on the ships. And they go to all these cool schools and they want to be on the boardings. But because of the the Coast Guard lead at, they wouldn't allow them in the boat. I was just lucky that, okay, I get to be in the boat with these guys and do a lot of this cool drug stuff. Um, We seized, I don't know, enough to build couches and chairs out of drugs in our torpedo mag. You know and it's just it was thousands of pounds of heroin and cocaine
0: gosh dog man
1: um so that was pretty rewarding i mean there were times where you would be chasing a boat in the dark the ship's dark the helicopter's dark and you're in this small rib boat and you're just kind of following the silhouette of a black ship kind of backlit by the night sky And then everything gets lit up, you know, the helicopter turns the spotlight on, the boat will usually try to run, or they'll just start throwing their bales of drugs outside. The helicopter usually at that point takes control of the the boat, they follow them, and then we recover the drugs if we can, if they don't sink fast enough, and then eventually the boat's usually going to stop. They're never armed, they're just kind of mules, and they're just out there trying to get drugs from point A to point B, and... uh. That was just kind of repeating a repeating process throughout that deployment. That's pretty intense, though, man, and it's good work. I mean, that's good work, dude. It was a lot of fun. I mean, I, I, I did enjoy it. It was probably one of my more memorable deployments. You know? mm-hmm. How long were you guys out there? We were out there floating off the coast of uh, Colombia, Costa Rica, Guatemala for about seven months.
0: Holy yeah. smokes, man. What's it like, dude? I mean, being out to sea and and living that life for seven straight months, dude, that's got to be a challenging thing or a big shift in lifestyle, man.
1: Yeah, and let this be another lesson to these guys that want to go out for some of these programs for special forces that it's fun, but it's never going to stack up to what you really want to do. Um But being out there for seven months is is pretty much, if I could boil it down to one thing, it's you're floating on a blue steel prison. And it's not a lot of fun. You you get into these, even even there you'll get into these stages of depression about just trying to get into rhythms. You're with a lot of people you don't know, but you get to know them pretty well. But other than that, you really are just kind of confined and you're out there floating around. And the only time you pull in, luckily out there on those deployments, there's no re- resupply ships. So you have to pull in every two weeks to to resupply. So Panama City or Panama, Panama, the country was like home port San Diego. Um, so we were in and out of there quite a bit. And the women are beautiful. You know, the culture is really nice. The food is really good. Um. But it was a fulfilling deployment. I enjoyed it, but I was, you know, very much so, I never enjoyed being on the ships. I was always thinking, how can I get off this thing? And every time orders would pop up, it's like, okay, how can I dodge it, you know? How can I not be on this thing? But overall, I learned a lot. It You learn a lot of camaraderie with the people, and you, you get settled into these cycles of of just getting in the groove, you know? So it's not hard, but it's not fun either. You know, man, those those moments
0: of, those kind of moments of depression that you're talking about, again, going back to that undulation that is human life, man, what would you do when you'd get in those slumps, man?
1: Usually work out harder.
0: That's what I was going to say. <laughs> I bet that's exactly what you did, man. Yeah, you
1: know, I, on that deployment too, you know, because I was uh, there as a rescue swimmer, I was afforded. A little bit more freedom than the average sailor because there's only two of us on board and that luckily that captain was very much in love with rescue swimmers so he kind of allowed us to do and train he would let i mean even when we were in port san diego he would let us off at two o'clock monday wednesday thursday to just do our thing and you know the majority of the ship looks at you like well, why do you get this uh why are you getting this this hookup from the from the captain but You just kind of kind of put your head down ignore it and and live your life um but yeah training hard was really where i found comfort mainly because my whole mindset was always to get back to buds and once i got done with that deployment i started planning that and uh i had my package ready to go and ended up destroying my knee before I was going to submit it. And that, again, was probably another big low time in my life because here I am in great shape, ready to try to go to the show again with more tools in my belt and a lot more confidence in myself. And then life happens, you know. And, again, I'm faced with being in that valley, you know, making that recovery. And then very much still, even to this day, I'm thinking of, hey, why not go out and try again? Obviously, the Navy's kind of out of the question. But, again, it just follows you everywhere you go.
0: Yep, yep. And talk about how you destroyed your knee, man. Yeah, (laughs) the worst thing, man. man,
1: I mean, I never really played team sports. Um, Even in high school, I was very much just into wrestling and not team sports. And so, yeah, I'm going to the gym for my uh, daily workout. And one of the guys that I worked with was like, Hey, hey, Barbara, you're not going to come work out and play basketball with us? And I was like, And why not? You know, I'll go play basketball and we're playing. And I go to block a guy's shot. And when I come down, he's a little bit underneath me to the point where my right hip sort of contacts his back. And I land just, just crooked enough to shift that knee. I destroyed my ACL, it was a complete rupture. I tore my meniscus, and I, I fractured the, the lower part of my femur. The ship didn't handle that very well. They definitely thought I was malingering, even though my knee was within 20 minutes of that happening. My knee was the size of a football, and I couldn't really walk on it. I ended up having to go to the ER that night. You know, they would just tell you, hey, go take some Ocher and drink some water, be here in the, in the morning. So I battled with that, with that ship for quite a while, because I didn't get an MRI on my knee until maybe six months after that event. By then, all the swelling and bruising had came down. I was walking on it pretty good, and I'd already started rolling into uh, weightlifting and, and running again once I regained mobility. Um, but again, I was still battling that, my command basically thinking that I was faking something. You know, and I was having to crutch probably about a mile and a half to two miles every day to get to work. And I would say, hey, guys, you know, it's really hard for me to walk. Uh, Can you come pick me up? And the ship wouldn't come pick me up. Holy crap. Drink some water. (laughs) Drink some water. Hurry up. Don't be late. (laughs) You know, so uh, eventually I get that MRI and it comes back. Yeah, the knee is pretty trashed. And from there, they remove me off that ship. Um, And I go to a kind of like a holding unit. And for me, it was. Uh, a helicopter squadron out in North Island which was a really great place to be at I wasn't required to do much because you're there you're broken so then I get my knee surgery I had a a hamstring graft to repair my ACL and they sutured my meniscus back um, and did a little bit of debridement off that meniscus and I mean I made a pretty good recovery I still battle with that and we we've talked about it me and Chad have been crushing it out here in the mountains and I've always battled with my, my good knee hurting, so I'm still kind of on this journey to – because really running is it. Running is the only thing that can kind of give me any sort of problems, and so I'm still ironing that out nearly six years later. Uh, but I'm definitely on to that. Um, so from there I go – I get healed up. They were going to med board me out, and I had to convince them because I just picked up E5. And I started seeing that BAH money roll in, and yep. I I didn't want to get out. You know, I think I was in about four years at that time, uh, and I didn't really have a plan to get out. So I was sort of like, well, I just picked up E five, um, and they wanted to med board me out, and I had to convince my lieutenant that was kind of uh, over my my medical process with my knee that I can perform, and that I don't need to get med boarded out of the military. So he said, hey, if you can do. In six weeks, if you can perform five pistol squats on each leg, I'm going to sign off your paperwork for you to re-enlist. And so I accomplished that. Uh, stayed in, re-enlisted for another six years. Went back to the fleet again, did another deployment, and then transferred to shore duty uh, and rode out the rest of my time until now. Well, you know, man, the reason I wanted you to tell that
0: story about you know how you injured your knee is because it's just, man, life is so freaking crazy that way. Like, there's so many things, there's so many times in life where your entire life is hinging upon one decision, one step, uh, one basketball game. Like, it's just like it's so it's so wild, man. And I told I, you know, I tell some stories of mine on the basic course that you probably, I hope you remember them because I don't tell them on podcasts, but I've had so many of those times in my own life, especially as a seal going through seal training. Um, and as an actual seal, you know, where everything hinged upon one bad decision or one decision period. And uh, a big part of the reason why I'm here, and and I and I, you know, and I am who I am. A big part of it's luck. You, you want to call it? I mean, I call it. I mean, I would call it a blessing. I don't necessarily believe in luck. I just feel like this is the path that God designed for me to be on. Um, but if you don't see it that way, you got to call it luck, man. Because some of those stories that, you know, that I've shared with you guys out there in the wilderness, you can see, you saw how it was luck
1: <laughs> that I am where I am, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah no I, doubt. I that's mean, life, man. Yeah, life is is all about those those choices that you make. And the biggest thing is if you have a grander dream, if you have a plan set out in stone and you're walking that path, don't stray from it. You know, like I should have been going to the gym that day to to continue my training and prepare and get in good shape. And that that one choice led me off that path. I thought it was harmless and it turned out to be another really big low.
0: Yep. Man, that is that is freaking solid right there, dude. And I, I think another thing, we talked about it last night um on that call we did, but another huge thing. Is being, is being resilient and being multidimensional and not having all your eggs in one single basket. Um, first of all, I think that we should all realize that no basket in life is like the end-all, be-all. So no basket in life, whether it's being a SEAL, whether it's being a millionaire, whether it's being, um, you know, a father, uh, whatever it may be, no basket is the end-all be-all. So don't put all your eggs in that single basket, man, because there are so many times in this life, even if you don't stray off that path, what Tubbs said about not straying off the path is 100% accurate. That will lessen your chance of having to tap into another basket, right? Mm Mm-hmm. That'll lessen your chance significantly. But even while you're on that path, if you don't stray off of it, there's so many circumstances that are going to happen. There's so many things that are going to happen where everything hinges on the outcome of one decision, of one circumstance. And man, if you got all your eggs in that in that one basket, and you're not multidimensional, you haven't built some resilience in your life, into your identity. Really, is that's huge, man. If you couldn't if you if you only identify with one single thing, that's about the worst decision that you can make in life, man. Because when you come to those one of those moments where everything is hinging and hanging by that thread and it and it pendulums the wrong way then it's crushing dude so yeah build those layers build those layers within your life within your identity and understand that no single basket is uh is the end all be all and most things in life aren't as fulfilling as you think They are going to be. Yeah. No doubt. You know, we talked about that the other day out on the porch, man. We talked about, you know, whatever you want to call it, war or battle or, you know, being in that position as a man and how for me in my life, that's the path that I walked. It's the path that, that I was chosen to walk down for whatever reason. And that, all of that stuff man all of that training for war the deployments all of that it was never fulfilling it it never it never fills you up it just leaves you craving more of it like wars is and and, and the combat and deploying and all that stuff you you think that if you get to go if you get if you just had your shot if you just had the opportunity to test yourself in that arena, that it would in some way satisfy you. When in all reality, there's no satisfaction in it. Because essentially, it's stupid. The the fact that we have, as human beings, have decided that it's a good idea to go and kill each other, you know, for political reasons most of the time, um, for some ideology, it's really freaking stupid. How, how do you expect, all right, how can you expect to find satisfaction in something that's absolutely ridiculous? It, it doesn't work that way. But looking at it from the outside, it's easy to think that that would be satisfying where all it leads to is more and more craving for something that's ridiculous, something that's never going to fulfill you, and you you end up, it's almost like an addiction, you end up craving it so much that everything around you in a lot of circumstances ends up falling apart, you know what I mean? I mean, what am I trying to say here? I I mean, you know, it's like, I guess I'm trying to say, don't look for fulfillment. Don't look for satisfaction in something in life that's actually meaningless. Money's another
1: thing. Mm -hmm. I mean... If I could add to that, what I would say is, you know, because this, this question is kind of a revolving question with, with guys that I've met that didn't make it through some of these programs, and it's just that, you know, a lot of our desire, especially mine, I know for myself, is just to be tested again in that arena of war. For some reason, that's so attractive to to go out with a bunch of guys that you've, you've trained hard with, and you're on top of your game, and to go out and get tested in that, in that arena and come out alive, or I was willing to sacrifice my life for it. But that's the question that we always ask is even if we went back and we got to go to war, would we be satisfied? And you're sort of confirming that, that no, you're just going to crave more. You're going to want to keep living that life. Um, and I think that, I don't know if I heard this from someone or if I created it myself. We call it chasing the untouchable dream. And it's just that it's almost like you'll just continually chase these things for the rest of your life. Hardship or, or battle or, or something that makes you feel like you're being tested and you're coming out a man. Um, but it very much is, seems to be an untouchable dream.
0: I, I agree 100%. So, so where, so where can we find actually, where can we actually find that fulfillment in life?
1: If, if you're asking me, I would say that, you know, going back to the eggs in the basket thing, when you put all, cause very much so going to some of these programs, you're putting all your eggs in these baskets, especially as a kid, you can't really think of anything except that one thing, you know, you're, you're young and you're just like, this is what I want. I'm going to go get it or I'm going to attempt it. If you put all your eggs in a basket and it doesn't work out, you have to, I think, immediately find something else to chase. And for me, the most fulfillment that I usually get is the process of obtaining something. So, you know, whether it's, you know, I competed in weightlifting for a while and, you know, I've done you know numerous things. But the most joy that I've ever gotten out of life is when I have a goal that's, you know, six months to a year away or more. And I'm just on this path getting ready for it, you know? And so for me, it's just that process of what is in between you and the goal. And once you get the goal, once you obtain it, you realize it's not as glamorous as you had originally thought. It's all about the process for me, at least, you know?
0: Yep. No, I think that's sound wisdom, man. And, uh, Feel that I feel that a lot of times even now. I'm, I'm a lot like you, brother, to where I got to have something on the calendar. Like, I got to have a goal. For me, it's usually a race because I, I enjoy the ultra running now. Um, but the process, dude, that is same here, brother, where I find the fulfillment. And uh, in a race, when I actually finish the race... I went, whether I win or not, you know, when I finish the race, I've achieved my goal. I checked the box. I actually get, um, I actually go through a pretty significant time of depression. Like I usually, my wife even, she'll give me about a week where she doesn't ask me to do anything. I don't get in, I don't get any work done. I mean, I'm in bad shape, man. Just trying to find the next thing. Just trying to find the next thing. Um, So that's pretty powerful to think that fulfillment in life doesn't necessarily – that fulfillment isn't felt when you cross the finish line. It's felt throughout the process of getting there. So to appreciate – to slow down enough – when you're in that journey in order to reach whatever the chat, the goal is that you've set for yourself, slow down enough to actually enjoy that process, man, and appreciate it for what it is. You know, I think that's powerful, man. And, you know, another thing that I would add to how do we find fulfillment in life? I think it's, I think it's a lot to do with chasing goals in life that are in line with the values and the principles that you believe in. that uh, things that aren't so look at look, we talked about the foundations of what battle is or war is. It's actually ridiculous the found, it's, it's not, it's, it's not founded on the principles that I live my life by. Look at money, man. A lot of people, you know, they're, they're chasing satisfaction in life through a dollar amount, right? I mean, there's no satisfaction there, but if you're chasing a goal, if you're chasing a mission, if you're on a mission in life, That the foundations of the mission are in line with your principles. My principles being integrity, love, um, you know, helping others, loving your neighbor, all of those things. Like my mission right now is all in alignment with those principles that I live my life by. And it's so satisfying, man. It's so satisfying now. Um, even the victories, the victories are satisfying because they're in line the victories are in alignment with my values, my principles and my virtues. If that even makes any sense at
1: all, you well, know Of course it does. you know I think it's just having your purpose in life. you know when you have a purpose, you feel that you have a purpose, you know I think that's where you get a lot of these this enjoyment from. If you don't have any purpose, you can just find yourself wasting away on a couch.
0: Yep. A hundred percent, brother. A hundred percent. Um, I want to talk real quick about uh, leadership, man, because you, just like me, spending such a large part of our life in the military where leadership really controlled the environment that we had to live our lives in like it could be either really good or it could really suck and it hinged upon leadership so I want to know what leadership looks like to you and now you moving forward in life as a leader of yourself and whatever is coming like what is what is good, sound leadership principles, what does that
1: look like to you? What are the standards you hold yourself to? That's a pretty uh, hard question. Um, you know, I've experienced multi a, a lot of different types of leadership throughout the military. Just like you just said right now, that can either make or break your experience about where you're at, because I've worked with people uh, that were leading me that, it just seemed like they their one job was to make your job as hard as possible. And then I've had leaders where if you could, you'd want to work for them the rest of your life. Um, so, I mean, as far as leadership goes, if you're a leader and you have people underneath you, your job is to guide them. It's to lead them. It's to give them all the tools they need to become you. Um your job isn't to make their life harder or to bring them down. You're you're really wanting them to work you out of a position at some point. Uh, And it seems, especially in the military, you know, I haven't experienced much out of the military yet, that a lot of these people grow up being led by these bad leaders and then in turn get into a leadership position and turn right around and act the same way as their bad leader did, I'm not sure if that's some, if it's if it's uh, ignorance or if it's just people following in the footsteps and or getting that power hungry position, and then in turn they have this sense of enjoyment out of bringing other people down. Who knows what who mo who knows what makes a bad leader? It's really hard to say. A lot of it's I'm sure in their personality. Um, but me as a leader, I just want to make the people that are underneath me or wanting to learn from me as good or better than I am.
0: Yeah, that's solid, man. It's, it's not, so you, you as a, one thing that I, that really stood out to me right there is you talking about it's not your, it's not even really your job as a leader to, to tell people what to do. It's just your job as a leader to empower them to, in turn, be able to get the job done and make decisions on their own. I think about that a lot at the basic course, man. A lot of, you know, when the basic course essentially, that's one of my most favorite aspects of it, is giving people the opportunity to lead in the absence of orders. So, you know... There, I'm looked, at, I'm looked at as an instructor. I'm in a professional role. I am essentially the leader. But when you saw it over and over again during the weekend, when team members asked me, how, how can we do this? How, what are we supposed to do? Can we do this? if I'm gonna be the best leader that I possibly can, for me to tell them what to do, that's not empowering them at all. For me to micromanage them and just lay the plan out in front of them, they're not learning anything from that man. They're not having to think. So my answer all, almost all weekend long when some, when a team member would say, can I do this or what should we do, at least by Saturday, my answer was always make a plan. Make a plan. Like my ultimate objective as a leader is just like you said, is to eventually turn the entire task or mission over to the the team. You know what I mean? I think that's uh that's solid, man. And yeah, I mean you see it you see it all throughout the military you see it out throughout the corporate environment if you're if you're micromanaging your people your teammates and you're just simply telling them what to do that's not being a leader man
1: yeah you know if you're in that leadership position you know like like you're talking about out there on the basic course and let's say on saturday when we had our event go down if you're just there saying hey You do this, this, and this, and you go do that. That person never gets the opportunity to see hey, can I even formulate a good plan? Can I even lead these people? You know, at that point, they're still just following. They're not really becoming any better. They're just sort of taking another order from a great leader, but they never get to see that they're even capable of doing it themselves.
0: A hundred percent. A hundred percent, man. Yeah, that's and that's what I'm looking for when whenever I'm in that that leader that leadership role. Is essentially, I wanna I want my team to work me out of a job, and I want to empower them to be able to do that. What do you got to do though? You got to let go of your pride, man.
1: If you're a leader, you got to let go of your pride before you can ever get in that mindset. Yeah, because a lot of times I think as a if you're if you've been in a leadership role quite a bit you can get wrapped up in that thing of, you know, it's my way or no way, or I have the best way. Mm-hmm. And sometime that's true, but most of the time there is always an alternative option and someone might have a different idea than you do. And that's okay. And I think that leaders need to understand that, that if you have a good group of people, and you have no reason to micromanage them, then you should let them grow. You should let them make their own path. Let them bring up their own ideas about how to accomplish a mission or a task or or a job. You should give them that responsibility so that they learn how to actually formulate plans, take action, and get it done.
0: 100%, brother. You know, man, and something about you, brother, you have a really like, calming spirit, man, like, just being around you, it's just, uh, you never get too worked up, you never get too, just, like, I remember seeing one of the dudes, I remember seeing one of the students on, uh, on the basic course, man, just getting, getting too much in a tizzy, getting too much in a hurry, and stuff just freaking flying everywhere, and, you know, it's like, you got a sense of calm about you, dude. How do you maintain that sense of calm in the midst of transition, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of all the crap that's going on around you, just in the place that you live right now, man? Like there's a lot of crazy stuff going on out there. You know, how do you maintain your sense of calm,
1: dude? Um, Well, I think I've always been sort of a very quiet and somewhat of an introverted person. So I've always been more inclined to figure things out on my own. And I know that there's not much value to freaking out when you're in a situation and you just have to, I mean, in the military too, you know, going through 10 years of various types of training, you know, buds, of course, I try to take as much as I can from that experience, but you just learn that there's no value in you losing your train of thought so much that you can't even think straight. That's when you're going to make these bad choices. Um, so, you know, it's really hard to say. I almost want to say it's genetic because I feel like I've, I've never really been a person to get overworked up about anything. I've always been described as you're describing me, you know, very calm, uh, very just quiet, reserved, and I'm just not known to ever lash out in anger or just any any type of outburst. So I can't really contribute that to any one thing. But definitely going through the military, growing up with my grandfather, it's just always been reinforced that, hey, stay calm, make good decisions, and then carry out the plan. That sums it up,
0: man. That totally sums it up. Uh, you know, that's one of the main foundations of that creed we went over. It's probably my most, my favorite part of the creed that we talk about out on the basic course is the ability to control your emotions and your actions regardless of circumstance. Uh, That to me is a fundamental principle because usually when crap's going haywire, you still have a job to do. You know, crap's not going haywire at the finish line when you're about to achieve victory. It's going crazy like in the midst of the battle, right? And that ability to control your emotions and your actions, your words, your thoughts, that's something I feel like that you've you've got that you've got that peg, man,
1: you know. Yeah, no, I think uh and I think some, some you know, people, leaders, young leaders, old leaders, maybe it's a leadership style. It definitely was big in the fleet that if you could yell a lot and you could freak out and make a big show, that you're the boss man, you're a good leader. And I think that's entirely the opposite way that I would think about it. There's something to be said, like you say, about someone that when it hits the fan – They're cool. They're calm. And that right there, that calmness that you see in your leadership or even just your teammates usually is pretty infectious. And it can contribute to you and your team or just yourself accomplishing whatever it is that you're set out to accomplish. Um, You can make a lot of bad decisions if you get too emotional.
0: A 100%, dude. And by no means are we saying that you can't show emotion. There is time. I think there's there's times in life uh, that it's appropriate to show emotion. And I think that it's unhealthy to constantly choke back emotion or to suppress emotion, but you have to be able to put the emotion away until it's the right time to let that stuff come out. You know what I mean? And when you're in the midst of of a struggle, that's not the right time to let those emotions come out. Man, you mentioned something right there where you talked about in the military, a lot of times you talked about the guy that couldn't make the most noise or yell or cuss or that a lot of times that stuff is rewarded, you know, and, and that that those type of actions when a leader displays those type of actions, the subordinates might look that look at that as some sort of strength or good leadership style when all it really is it's lack of self-control it's cowardice it's essentially being a bully it's panic it's panic like and and in a lot of circles even in the corporate world probably that stuff is rewarded or it's looked up to the guy that can make the most noise when, in actuality, that's a complete failure, and I think that that is um, something that we should all be conscious of. It's not to not to look up to, not to idolize, and not to reward um, or idolize that that person that's able to make the most noise. That's not the person I want in the front of my stack, dude. Not at all. No. Um. Yeah, man, so you're on this vision quest now, you're a student, you know, what drove you to pursue the career choice that you're pursuing now, because it's very unique, and I got to learn a lot of stuff about you just through conversation this past weekend, you know, you're talking about the uh, aerospace engineering, like, you're talking about how your, your your interest in mathematics and rockets and stuff, like, I never knew that about you, man. Is that something that you've had, like, since you were younger?
1: Uh, yeah, so, I mean, other than the, the, the side of me that wanted to go to war, uh, I definitely very much was always into the Discovery Channel, National Geographic, and, and I very much love space. Uh, and physics and things like that. So, And as I've gotten older and I start to question, like you talked about, the, the, the sort of the disease of men glamorizing and wanting to go to war and how it really is sort of an unhealthy path in a lot of ways. So even though I still crave that and still even to this day want to go experience it, the older I get, the more I kind of want to just settle down and become an academic, you know, learn these, I don't know if you want to call it nerdy things about the world, but you know, that stuff has always been an interesting side of myself that you don't typically share with people because you can be labeled a nerd, you know? And a lot of times when I start talking about this stuff with people, they can't share in it and they give you kind of a funny look and they just don't quite understand why you would want to do these things. So, it's not something that I just talk about with everyone because these are sort of existential conversations that I want answers to some of these secrets of life. And I think that pursuing aerospace engineering or some type of engineering d- discipline is going to be pretty fulfilling, you know. And it's a it's a hard it's a hard degree. It's usually around a sixty or seventy percent dropout rate to get an engineering degree and I think again that's just me looking for to achieve something that is very difficult and I don't know if I will find fulfillment at the end of it but I'm just along for the ride
0: you're gonna appreciate
1: the journey I'm gonna definitely appreciate the journey you know because this this college kid schedule that we've been living on the past couple weeks is is uh it's fun I enjoy it. I very much enjoy being a student at at thirty, thirty one now, um, but it's a. Uh, I'm I'm on a different path, and I'm I'm gonna make the most out of it.
0: Yeah, it's nice to. Me and Tubbs were talking about earlier today. It's nice to not even have to know what day it is. I yeah, mean,
1: yeah, I think today when I was filling out, you know, a piece of paper, I needed to put the date on it, and the guy was, like, hey, it's, "It's uh what day is it?" I can't even remember. <laughs> It's the sixteenth, but I didn't know it was July. I thought it was June. <laughs> you know what we're doing, man? We're catching up. Yeah, you know, we're just kinda lost in the sauce, you know what I yeah. mean? We're catching up, man. I mean, it's
0: uh I tell people that all the time, I don't know if they can quite grasp it. It's like, dude, we live I lived and you lived so many years that you did you didn't do what Tubbs wanted to do and I didn't do what Chad wanted to do. And there was dude, when you're when you're in the military, we had this conversation earlier, even when you're off, even when you're on leave, even when you're off work, there's this thing that's hanging over you because they own you. They can call you back no matter where you are or what you're doing they can call and and a lot of times they do call you back. Oh yeah. And 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 they basically own you. And we spent our entire adult lives um living that life, man. And I view these years, these times that we're living in right now, man, we're catching up on on all those on all those years of life that Dude, I didn't do a single thing that Chad truly, genuinely just what I wanted to do, right? So, all week long, me and Tubbs, man, we've been staying up till about midnight. And I don't think there's been a day that's went by that we've woke up before 9 o'clock in the morning. So, I mean, we've been waking up 9, 9.30. Man, that ain't lazy. That ain't being undisciplined we're We're catching up,
1: man, and we're still getting out there and getting after we're it. we're getting after it, man, yeah, I mean,
0: it's uh gosh, it's been awesome, brother um all right, last thing I wanna talk about, man, you know, three or seven project we're at body, soul, and spirit we've talked through a lot of stuff physical we thought we've talked through a lot of stuff soulish, that mind that will the emotions that soul part of us i want to talk a little bit about spirit. I just want you to share freely what your perspective is on spirit. You know, and spirit is a big part of everything that we do at the basic course, three of seven project. I mean, you saw it as a vein that runs through everything that we do. I describe it as the, the thing that separates us from every other animal on earth. Is that spirit, man, that, you know, there's something about a human being that we can appreciate a beautiful sunrise, sunset. Something about you that I was i was actually wondering when we were up on the top of that bald, like, since you have such a deep connection and interest in space. I know you were looking up at them stars and you you i know you have to have a deep appreciation for that well we didn't see you don't see a a deer or something like that like looking up at the stars and truly being able to appreciate what i call creation you know where i'm at with spirit i want you to freely share your perspective man and any any lessons or or anything that you could pass along to some other person <clears throat>
1: Okay. Spirit. Um, Yeah, definitely being up there on that bald and looking up at the stars and it's hard to get into certain areas of the world to where you can see a sky like that, you know, and you can see because a lot of people in these big cities, there's so much light pollution. You can't even really see the magnificence, uh, magnificence of what is the sky and the stars, you know, you might see two or three or four, maybe a couple hundred when you're up there on that bald and you can see the entire cloudiness of the Milky Way. You can see literally every single star that the human eye can, can, you know, capture without any sort of, you know, artificial man-made lens. For me, the spirit is just trying to find out, what is mankind's purpose here on earth? And I think that that's what sort of propels me into the academic side of what I want because I would like some way to figure out what is our purpose. Um, And that's really a hard question to answer. I don't have that answer. Um, I think about a lot of things. I have a lot of existential type thoughts, but really it's uh it's 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 a struggle for me to really answer this question um Maybe I lack spirit. I don't know <laughs> but if I had to nail it down to a few things. Mainly, I think it would just be, what, what is my purpose? What can I do for mankind? And how can I answer some of these hard questions, you know, going forth in my life and making sense of it all? Um, that's all about I can really offer on that. Maybe I'm still searching. Maybe that's a lot of the part of this journey that I'm on is searching for that, that answer.
0: Yep. You know, man, I think it's uh, I'm excited to see your journey play out, especially from the academic side, because I'm wondering right now, as you as you progress and as you dig deep into what is the academic side of your journey. I'm wondering if you're gonna find or if you have found up until this point, does some of the academic side, the tangible stuff, the tangible stuff that you're gonna study and learn, is some of that at some point or has it already pointed toward creation? Because that's one of the big, that's one of the big things, man, is I think that you talk about spirit that's a big decision to make is was this crew was all of this created or did it just happen by pure purely random circumstance if you decide at some point that it has been created then that leads you to a deeper search right if you decide at some point that you can't accept the fact that this has been created and that it's purely random the search ends there there's there's no further thing
1: to look out you know what i mean there's not a lot of fun in that you know yeah yeah and maybe that's what we all search for as humans you know we're all looking for that you know who created us what created us why are we here these are all questions that we may never have answers to in our lifetime but it's fun to chase it and again it all just goes back to To that chasing, chasing dreams, chasing purpose and chasing your spirit. You know, I mean, it's really hard to get out in some of these places, like you say, being up there on the bald and looking at the stars or just being able to be out in nature and look at what the beauty of it is and question, how is this just chance or why would it just be chance? Um, but yeah, maybe. That, I mean, a lot of the reason that I'm going in this direction with school is to search for answers that we may never find, and that's okay. You know, a part of the process is what's going to be the most enjoyable part of it. Yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah, I'm, and I'm I'm so glad I'm so glad that you're. I'm selfishly happy that you're going down this this path because. You and I'll be connected now for the next sixty-seven. What I don't even know how many years we should have left. We <laughs> we should have, we should have a good thirty, forty years left. I hope so. You know, if we if we live a, a a full life, if we're blessed enough to live a full life, so we'll be connected now for the next thirty, forty years. And uh, I'm interested, and I'm happy that you're putting the work in on my behalf.
1: I'll give you all of what I get, so
0: you can share what the the tangible, academic portion points to. I mean, I mean, I, I believe I I have a solid foundation of what I believe in, um, but I want to hear I want to hear the lessons and the things that you learned throughout your journey, because I think it's cool and it's not my path to go down that. But I'm going to get now now I'm going to get to reap
1: the rewards of your hard work. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think my brain definitely works on that kind of black and white level. I like to see things on paper. I don't, I usually do not like just knowing something works. I want to know how it works, why it works, what is it that drives it to work, you know, and mathematics and physics is definitely one of those things that's going to give you those answers.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, man, and I think, I think they, they'll they give you, I think it's going to be awesome. I think it's going to give you a lot of answers, but i think inevitably at the very at the very end of all of your of all of the things that you're going to search out and all of the things that you're going to learn all of the tangible things i think inevitably at the very end there has to be some aspect of faith involved in really completing that spiritual part of yourself. I don't know. It's just like the way that I believe, I can't prove it. The way that I believe no scientist, no equation, no tangible thing, that we understand as human beings can prove it. They can point to it, but they can never prove it. That's a weird, man, that's weird. Faith is a, it's a weird thing because it's essentially, I guess, the, um, the hope for or the belief in Something that I accept cannot be explained completely. Like a lot of the things that you're going to learn, I think, are going to point in a certain direction. But can it actually solve the problem? And the answer is, in my opinion, no. Because whatever, whatever did create us, is so much more complex than what our brain can even comprehend.
1: You know what I mean? No, yeah, I fully understand that, and I think we talked about this just a little bit too on the porch. You know, porch talks are, are quite enjoyable, but, you know, there could be this disconnect between the science community and the faith community where a lot of times they're, they can be pitted against each other um, all really trying to answer very specific, difficult questions about where we came from. But there could just be a gray area in the middle that's both going to lead them into the same direction. Um, Hopefully we're lucky enough to live long enough to get some of these answers we want. But I think that's all part of being human, searching for meaning, wanting that meaning, and just journeying through life when you get these answers or if you do if you do or don't get these answers you'll still be searching for them and that's okay um, but it's definitely maybe we shouldn't be pitted against each other you know when I say we I just mean the science community and 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 the, and the faith but I really kind of believe it could all be tied into a common goal yeah, I agree with you 100%. And that's that's why I made the statement earlier.
0: Essentially, that's why I am excited about getting to reap the benefits of the work that you're about to put in is because I know that you're coming at it from that perspective. And um, you're going to you're you I think that you're going to be able to share the things that you find throughout your journey from a from a pure perspective because you you're truly coming at it not you're not coming at it from an angle that you that you're like you said pitted against one one answer or the other it's almost a it's almost going to be a it really is going to be a pure search and i feel like your pride one of the, one of the coolest things about your journey is your pride's not going to stand in the way of you finding what you need to find you know what i mean
1: yeah i mean approaching all of this stuff with an open mind is something that I've always valued and and I'm going to carry that with me forever. I never want to be so ego driven or confident that I have the answers that I'm closed off from someone trying to give me an actual answer. You know, if someone brings me information, I want to have them potentially change my mind, you know? Yep. Yep. Well,
0: brother, we went pretty deep down the rabbit hole on this one, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think it's going to be good, man. I mean, uh, this is a very unique episode for the 307 Podcast. I don't think I've ever – I don't think that we've ever done an episode that's quite this deep, quite this intimate. And, um, you know, just the value is there. The stories are there. everything, Everything is here. In this now, one hour, fifty nine minutes, and seven seconds.
1: Well, wow, that's quite long. I had
0: no idea we were talking <laughs> for that long. <laughs> so, I'm uh, I'm excited about releasing this man. I'm excited about, uh, just having you here with me, and uh, thankful beyond words that you are here. That you had the courage and the willingness to share with, you know, everyone who's going to listen to this.
1: And I can't thank you enough. You already know that. I mean, I I hope you already know that. Of course, you know, I mean, like we we talked about it, too, just that never in a million years did I imagine that I would be sitting here at your home or out on your porch with you so just to be here is such a a blessing you know a, a pleasure and I'm just trying to make the most of it you know
0: yeah when we were swimming the other day in the reservoir I was like man if you'd have told me and Tubbs 10 or 11 years ago when we were doing a two mile ocean swim in the Pacific Ocean that we would have been in North Georgia you know, swimming side by side in this beautiful mountain lake, clear water um, at the end of a long run for pleasure, pure pleasure. Like, we'd have looked at you like you were freaking crazy, man. Yeah, no doubt. It's just a a magnificent thing, man. So
1: definitely filling the cup.
0: Yeah, 100%, brother. All right, guys. Hope you enjoyed it. If, uh, If you did enjoy it, Go leave us a review on iTunes, uh, the podcast app. We would really appreciate that. I checked that today. I check I checked the reviews today. We were up to 278 reviews. Hold up. <laughs> Is that not freaking weird, dude? <laughs> yeah. Is that
1: I mean, I just to just to, you know, again, I know a side of Chad that was a decade ago, so to see him here preaching the good word and trying to reach all of you and he's trying to give you some knowledge, really absorb it. He's, he's not, he's not teaching you anything that's, uh, that's hard to implement. Take his word for it. Take our word for it. Take my failures for it. Don't let your mind trick you into things that you think is going to be a more comfortable route. And just keep on hammering.
0: That's it, man. That's it. And two hundred and seventy-eight reviews on Apple iTunes today. Why is that? Why is that important? Because you guys know my Instagram handle, chat Right Two Seven Eight. Where's Two Seven Eight come from?
1: Man, I didn't even realize it when you said it. Now I get it. That's
0: our that's our buds class number. So that is where everything started for. For this conversation, this conversation has been um, eleven plus years in the making, and it all started with Bud's class two seven eight. And the day that we record this podcast, what is what is the gauge that I view that that how do I gauge the success of this podcast? Is off of those reviews on Apple iTunes. I That's pretty much 100% where I gauge the success, how well I'm doing, how well I'm doing, how valuable the product that I put out is, is gauged off of that one indicator. And today we hit 278 reviews.
1: Congrats, brother.
0: I was just, you can't even freaking make that crap up, dude. <laughs> the day we're recording this episode. I just checked it uh, a couple hours ago, so... All right, guys. This is the Three Seven Podcast. Enough said.